Father, thank you that we're in your presence. Thank you, you love us and you're for us. I pray, God, just now as we turn to the Bible, that you would speak right into our hearts and lives. Open our spiritual eyes. Shine light in our souls. God, we pray, meet with us. Help me to speak. Help us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago, I was down visiting my sister and my brother-in-law down in Guernsey. And, uh, thank you. And there was one evening we were out for a meal and my brother-in-law's sister lived at the end of the garden and they had this really nice big property that kind of went around the bay and it had a forest and then there was the house and then there was the house we were having a meal at. And at the end of the meal, we had to make our way all the way back to the other house through the forest around the edge of this bay. And my brother-in-law, Tim, uh, he just kind of, he, 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 it was dark, it was quite precarious because we knew there were drops off to the side. And he, and he was leading the way down this forest track. And we, as we were about to go into that forest, he said, don't worry, I know where I'm going, follow me. And as he said that, literally, as he said, follow me, as he disappeared into the darkness, follow me, hey, me. And he tumbled down this hillside. I mean, it was, it was to be honest, we started laughing, but we thought he might have died and then you stopped laughing. Remember those, you know those moments where something really funny happens and you think, what if they died? That would not be appropriate to laugh. Anyway, he said, I'm okay, I'm okay. He'd fallen like so far down. The next day we went back to the same spot and you could see this little thin path going through the woods and then you can see the path he took, kind of trodden grass to the edge of this drop. I'm not kidding, the drop was like the balcony down but with a slight slope in it so it wasn't like sudden thud. It was kind of, it kind of took the, <laughs> tumbled down this hill. Follow me, I know where I'm going. <laughs> You know, sometimes we choose the wrong people to follow or the wrong courses to follow. Jesus invites us to follow him as we go into the darkness. And unlike my brother-in-law, unlike other people we have followed, Jesus Christ leads us incredibly into great places. This is what he said. It's a famous statement of Jesus. It's in John chapter 8. We're going to start with it. Then we're going to kind of work around it. John 8 verse 12. Jesus spoke again to the people and said, I am the light of the world." Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Read that with me. One, two, three. Jesus spoke again to the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Everything Jesus said, he said in a particular time and in a particular place. Those words just read alone impact us. Those words, just if you didn't know anything else about this, the account, anything else about where he was, we would be blown away by those words. He's the light of the world. What a claim. You follow him, you're not going to walk in darkness. You're going to have the light of life. What a claim. But actually, he said it at a particular time and in a particular place. It's, let me give you some clues. Let's, let's work around the verses now. It says, Jesus spoke again to the people. You see that? So, that means he spoke before to the people. And when was that? Well, if you go back to, I'll just find it for you, John 7, verse 37, the chapter before, it says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus said, okay, so Jesus is speaking at a festival. And the festival is the festival of tabernacles or the feast of booths. And this was one of the three annual festivals in Jerusalem that everyone arrived in Jerusalem for and at this particular festival, the whole festival was about 
remembering. Say remembering. It was all about remembering what happened in Israel's past. They remembered how they had gone through a wilderness for 40 years and how God had supernaturally sustained them. And because of that, it was called the Feast of Booths because they all lived in makeshift shelters all around Jerusalem on the streets, in the town squares, in the open areas, on flat roofs. There was booths everywhere. They were remembering what it was like. God, you sustained us in those 40 years of wanderings in the wilderness as we lived in makeshift homes. They remembered that every year at this festival. Remember the other thing they remembered? Remember when, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this, when there was this procession where the high priest would take water from the pool of, pool of Siloam during the same festival, and he would take the water, at, leading a procession of people who were singing all the way up to the temple, and he would pour the water out. And it was re- remembering how, during that time in the wilderness, God sustained them by providing water from a rock. Remember that? And it, remember Jesus at that point said, Come to me all who are thirsty. Remember that? So Jesus was saying, Ashley, I am the one who sustains you at the same festival. And then you remember just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Remember that? And Jesus, during that moment, in the same festival, this woman was caught in adultery, brought before Jesus, and Jesus did a strange thing. He wrote with his finger on the ground. People well, what was that about? And I think very clearly it linked back to the fact That during that time of 40 years in the wilderness, God came, descended upon a mountain, and gave on stone tablets with the finger of God the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that would condemn any adulteress. But Jesus was saying, I am none other than the giver of law. And he went on to acquit the lady and show mercy and forgiveness. And now we are in that same festival, and Jesus is declaring... I am the light of the world. What was taking place here? Well, it was in the last and the greatest day of the feast. That's what it said in chapter seven. This is the same feast on the last day. Every night during the feast, they had a thing called the illumination of the temple. Here's a picture of probably what it would have looked like. Um, And in the center of the temple, in the court of the woman, there was these three, sorry, four huge candelabra, 20 meters high. Each of the candelabra had four uh, holders of oil, which were ignited. They were so high up that the the priests had to climb up a ladder and ignite these huge candelabra, four of them. And every night during the Feast of Tabernacles, during the Feast of Booths, these huge torches were lit in the very center of the temple area. And it literally illuminated the temple and the surrounding area in Jerusalem with the brightness of these lights. It was a phenomenal scene. And this happened every day during the festival And on the last day of the festival, they extinguished the lights deliberately. They deliberately extinguished the lights because they knew that the ultimate light, the Messiah, was going to come. And here's Jesus on that very night. And where was he at this time? Well, actually, now you have to jump ahead in the verses to find out where he was speaking. It says that uh, he was speaking, where is it? Uh, Verse 20 of chapter 8, it says he was speaking in the temple treasury. The temple treasury was in the court of the woman in the very self-same court where these candelabra were lit. Jesus was in this place where the candelabra were brightly burning. Thousands of people most likely were gathered and Jesus, at the extinguishing of these lights, it's like, you know, when you turn off the Christmas tree, there's a sense of, remember like after all the celebrations have come and gone and you've got to take down the tree, there's that sense of lostness, okay? 
it was, it was like the darkness came. There's a sense of, okay, Messiah hasn't come yet. And there's a sense of there's a darkness. Well, in that moment, Jesus spoke and said, I am the light of the world. And why did they illuminate the temple? Why did they light these lights every night during the Feast of Tabernacles? And the Feast of Tabernacles was about remembering the 40 years in the wilderness. Here's why. Because you remember when they were in those 40 years in the wilderness, God turned up among them in a column of fire by night and cloud by day. And those lit candelabras represented and reminded them of the very presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God that was manifest in fire, a column of fire that would literally illuminate the camp of Israel in the wilderness through those 40 years, supernaturally. Here's a record, it says in Exodus 13, verse 21. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night by a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. So here's Jesus. He's literally declaring to the people of Israel when he says, I am the light of the world, as he said that in front of these candelabras that had just been extinguished and everyone was plunged into darkness, he declared to the Israelites, I am none other than the God who turned up among you and led you those 40 years in a manifest way through this pillar of fire. That was me leading you in the wilderness. And he not only declares that to the Jewish people, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks with me, whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amazing. Let me just take you through every little bit of that statement of Jesus. He starts by saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. You see, Christianity is not about a moral code. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's not an ideology. It's not a political preference. It's not, Christianity is not about lifestyle. Christianity is about a person. He's called Jesus. You could have your lifestyle. You could even admire the teachings of Jesus, but you don't know him. That's not Christianity. You see, is your life all about Jesus? If your life's all about Jesus, that makes you a Christian. The whole world's about Jesus, quite frankly. The Bible says that the whole universe is about Jesus. It was, the Bible says it was created by him and for him. So if you're not all about Jesus, you're not even in sync with the universe. The whole Bible's about Jesus. He's in the old concealed and the new revealed. The whole book's about Jesus. Being a Christian is all about the person of Jesus Christ. Is your life all about Jesus? He said, I am the light of the world. And then he goes on and he says, I am the light of the world. And that, just that statement of I am, actually, we've said this before, that specific phrase, I am, was a claim to be divine. Jesus wasn't just referring to himself. He was actually referring to himself as none other than God. It says in John 8 verse 20, a little bit later on, it says, He spoke these words while he was teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. No one seized him. Why would they want to seize him? And here's why. Because they knew full well that he was claiming to be none other than God. When he said, I am the light of the world, he, under that candelabra, he was saying, 
I am God who led you through the wilderness in a manifest way with the column of fire. That's me. He was claiming to be God. And they knew it. He was claiming that, he was claiming that represents me. Not also, that, that phrase, I am, is the same phrase that God used to describe himself. The same phraseology, the way that that word phraseology, I am, is used in the Greek language, ego, imai, it's a weird way of saying, I am. It is a way of saying it that is, would be awkward to normal language. And Jesus deliberately used that phraseology in the Greek language, which was used to describe in the exact same way the very name of God who declared himself to be the great I am in the Old Testament. Jesus was clearly claiming to be God. The astronaut Hale Irwin, after returning from a lunar mission, he said this. He said, the most significant achievement of our age is not that man stood upon the moon, but rather that God in Christ stood upon the earth. That the greatest moment in all history when Mary had a child and that child was fully man and yet also fully God. God became a man at one moment in history and he still is. There is a man on the throne of the universe. He's called Jesus Christ. He's none other than God. Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. But then he goes on, the next word is the. I am the light of the world. February the 4th, 1993, Flight Mission Control Center in Moscow reported the successful deployment of a space reflector, seven meter diameter space reflector, which was a huge aluminum covered disc that they had attached to their space station, Mir, way up in the orbit up there. And I don't know, I don't think it worked, but the whole purpose of that was they were trying to use this big reflector in space, the seven meter diameter reflector, to literally, during the darkness, to reflect light from the sun down to the dark side of the earth during night time hours in Russia. It was, the, the, the aim was literally to illuminate a two mile radius on earth from this big reflector in the sky. I don't know if it worked or not. <laughs> but I think that's a good, it's, a, it's an analogy of what we always try and do. We try and create our own light. And you try and pursue light. You try and find different lights to illuminate your life. You're living in darkness and you're trying to find a light. You're trying to find something to live for. You're trying to find something to satisfy you. So you go pursue it in hobbies or in interests or in sin or in relationships. You go and pursue it in different uh, agendas or different endeavors. But nothing we can do, anything we do to try and create our own light is a, is a false light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Not one of many. He says, I am, he didn't say I am a light, he said I am the light of the world. He's the only light. The choice is either Jesus or darkness. That's the choice that the human race has. He said, I am the light of the world. Why would that be? Well, earlier on in John, it's in John chapter one, verse nine, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The reason Jesus is the light of the world is because he's God in the flesh. No one else can claim that. And therefore, Jesus Christ is the only light. The choice is either Jesus or darkness. I am the light. The word light is a phenomenal word. 
it carries so many analogies, it carries so many images in our minds, and Jesus deliberately chose that word to describe himself. And God actually made that metaphor of light and darkness for us to understand himself. Light. Here's here's an excerpt from a National Geographic magazine about light. It says, light reveals the world to us. Body and soul crave it. Light sets our biological clocks. It triggers our brains at the sensors, the sensations of color. Light feeds us, supplying the energy of plants to grow. It inspires us with special effects like rainbows and sunsets. Light gives us life-changing tools from incandescent bulbs to lasers and fiber optics. Scientists don't fully understand what light is or what it can do. They just know that it will illuminate our future. Light. It's interesting, the first recorded words of God in the Bible is God said, let there be light. And light means lots of things. Here's some of the things I think light means. Light means joy. You know, you have people who live in the far north or the far south near the poles. They have these long, dark winters. Uh, Kind of like us, it gets worse from here on, you know, north. And we have these long, dark winters. And it has been shown from research that people who live in the extremes experience a depression. Often it's common. And, and there is an increase during those long, dark winter months. There's an increase of depression, of suicide, of domestic abuse, of drug and alcohol use. Just people trying to deal with this darkness, physical darkness. It affects their souls. And in the flip side, you know what it's like when it's sunny. Everyone gets happy. Everyone becomes Christians, you know. You, you, you see Edinburgh, it's like everyone got God in their life. So everyone's happy when the sun comes out those three days in the year. And, and everyone gets happy. Light affects us. It gives us joy. Light brings comfort. You know, when your kid wakes up in the middle of the night screaming, you don't go and turn all the lights off. You don't do that. You turn the light on. They they need two things in that moment. They need a light and they need your presence. They need someone bigger than them and they need a light. That's exactly what human beings need. They need someone bigger than them and they need light. It brings comfort. Light also brings life. You know, if the sun went behind a cloud for two years, life on earth would cease to exist. Light brings life. Light also brings sight. You know, if you were to know what the tree, a tree was like, you could either stumble into a tree in the darkness, boom, and experience it in some form and try and get an idea of its size and shape and form and texture. Or the light could shine off that tree and reflect its colors, its form, its scale off your retinas and you instantly understand and perceive the size and the color and the shape of the tree. Light gives you sight. You could could actually say you understand the truth about the tree through light. So light also leads to sight, which is also truth. Therefore, light is truth. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun. Not only because I see it, but because by it, all things are seen. And some of you can relate to that. I certainly can. I can remember when I was 15 and I had, you know, I kind of believed that God was there. But when I was 15, 
It's like the light went on on the inside. I believed in Jesus. I believed that Jesus died for me on the cross. I believed that he rose. It's like a light went on on the inside. And you know what? I remember the next day, everything was fresher. I started appreciating trees. I don't, why, do, why do I like trees? And I said, like, blades of grass start fascinating me in colors and smells. Oh, it's great. Oh, look, there's a sunrise. Everything started affecting me in a different way. People must have thought, man, what's, what's going on with Pete? Because I suddenly became all sensitive to the things that didn't bother me before. Who can relate to that? It's like, it's like 3D glasses went on when you became a believer. Wow, everything came alive. It's not, it's not just because you can see the sun. It's because through the sun you can see everything. And everything takes on a whole new form and appreciation. Light equals God. It says in 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And to be honest, that's our fundamental message. We believe that God is good. We believe that he's not bad, despite the bad press that people give him. We believe he's good. He's fundamental. He could not be good. He, he doesn't change. He's just consistently good, just, pure, fair, loving. That is our fundamental message. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. There is no sinisterness. There is no weird agendas. There is no strangeness. There is no untrustworthiness. God is just completely good. Give me an amen if you agree. And that's our message. We believe, I mean, we base our life on that. And it helps you navigate when things aren't good, right? Because life isn't always good. Just because God is good doesn't mean everything that happens in our life is good. I mean, you can relate to that. But how do you navigate the bad? Because you have a foundation that God is good. That helps you navigate life. God is good. There was a discussion between an atheist professor and his class. And there was a particular believer in God who was in the class. And the atheist professor would often pick on him and try and disprove the existence of God. And one day he said to the, he said to the students, the professor said, did God create everything that exists? And the believing student said, yes, I believe he did. Then the professor said, you mean God created everything? And the believer said, I believe he did. And then the professor went on to say, if God created everything, then God created evil. And since evil exists, and, and, see, and since evil exists, and according to your principle, that our works define who we are, then we can assume that God himself is evil because he created evil. The believing Christian student became quiet. He didn't know how to answer the professor. And the professor was quite pleased with himself feeling that he'd again had a bit of a victory against a theist, a believer in God, and had somehow made the idea of belief into a myth. At this point, another student said, excuse me, sir, can I ask you some questions? And the professor said, well, certainly. And the student stood up and he said to the professor, professor, does cold exist? And the professor said, well, what kind of question is that? Of course, cold exists. Have you never been cold? The class giggled, but the student went on and said, in fact, sir, cold does not exist. According to the law of physics, what we consider to be cold is in reality the absence of heat. Absolute zero minus 460 Fahrenheit is a total absence of heat. And all matter becomes inert and incapable of reacting at that temperature. Cold does not exist. We have created this word to describe how we feel when there is no heat. The student went on and said, professor, does darkness exist? The professor said, of course it does. And the students 
once again said, once again, sir, you are wrong. Darkness does not exist either. Darkness is, is in reality this, the absence of light. Light we can study, but we can't study darkness. How do you know how dark a certain space is? You measure the amount of light present. Isn't it correct that darkness is a term used by man to describe what happens when no light is present? And then the student went on and says, sir, does evil exist? Now, slightly uncertainly this time, the professor responded, well, of course, I've already said that you see every day, we see daily examples of man's inhumanity to man and there's a multitude of crime and violence around the world. These are manifestations of none other than evil. And the student went on and said, sir, evil does not exist, or at least it does not exist unto itself. Evil is simply the absence of God. It is like darkness and cold, a word that man has created to describe the absence of God. God did not create evil. Evil is a result of what happens when man does not have God. It is like cold that comes when there is no heat and darkness that comes when there is no light. The young man's name was Albert Einstein. Light represents God. Let's look at darkness. Darkness represents ignorance. John Calvin, the great theologian, said this, there is no greater darkness than the ignorance of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, for although they knew God, they neither worshipped him as God nor gave thanks to him. This is describing the condition of the human being since time began, although we knew God. So this, this verse basically says that God doesn't believe in atheists. That's what that verse says. The Bible says that although they knew God, every human being is, has this inner knowing of God. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. When you resist that inner knowledge of the truth so long, what will happen is eventually your heart will become darkened and you will no longer feel and you will become convinced of a lie. Darkness is ignorance. Darkness also represents sin. This is just from last year's news. I mean, we just see darkness just from the news alone, let alone from our own lives and from those around us. 1,400 were sexually assaulted in Rotherham. You know, according to the UN, quarter of a million cases of rape or attempted rape are recorded by the police annually in 65 countries around the world. We saw last year in the news people beheaded with kitchen knives on our television screens in the name of religion. And we saw thousands dying on boats and they paid money and take it, took a risk as they were trying to escape from tyranny across the Mediterranean Sea. This world is dark. That's globally. But personally, you know darkness. Our world is dark. Our world has sin in it. The Bible says in John 3.19, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. There's something about us that doesn't like the exposure that coming to God does. Coming to God forces the issue. Coming to God has, makes us pick a lane. And some people don't like that because they actually, genuinely, they like darkness. You see, what's interesting, um, let me tell you a story. There was a, there's a story of a, a, a nomad who lived in the desert 
And he woke up in the middle of the night really hungry. And he reached across from his makeshift bed. And there on the table beside his bed was a bowl. And he lit a candle just so he could see what he was doing. And there were some dates in this bowl. And he took a date and he bit it open. And there inside it was a worm. And he just threw it out of the tent. And they took the second one and bit it. And then there inside the second one was a worm. And he threw it out. And he knew how it was going to go. So he just blew the candle out and made his way through the dates. And I think many people would prefer darkness and denial rather than living in the light of reality. We do that with sin all the time. Because when we live in exposure to the presence of God, it exposes something about our souls that is not comfortable. And yet that's what the Bible does. What's interesting, if you look at the many statements that Jesus made, he often preceded a statement with a sign. For example, he fed the multitudes and then he declared, I am the bread of life. It's interesting that when he makes a statement, I am the light of the world, he made this statement not just during a festival, but straight on the back of acquitting a lady who was caught in the very act of adultery. And if you look at that story and the Pharisees brought her before Jesus and said, she deserves to be stoned to death. And Jesus' answer, you remember it? He said, he who is without sin cast the first stone It was like a large spotlight was shone on the crowds, including the women. The woman's sin was exposed by the Pharisees. The Pharisees' sin was exposed by this light of God shining on that moment, and they knew they were sinners. The difference was the woman stayed close to the source of light, and the Pharisees receded into the shadows because they didn't like the exposure. And you see the lights come on. And that's what sin does. Sin wants us to stay in darkness, but God wants to shine the light. Darkness also represents hell. It says in Jude chapter 1 verse 13, it says this type of thing in many places. It says that it describes hell as people will be doomed forever to blackest darkness. The sheer and utter absence of light is blackest darkness. And that is describing a place, a real place, not a mythological thing, not something that was featured in people's artworks or something, an invention of religion to scare people into religion. No, no. Jesus himself described this as a real place and a place that exists literally away from the presence of God, the absence of light in utter blackest darkness. And you think, you, 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 we complain, we don't like the idea that God would send people to hell. But if you actually look at it in reality, God does send people to hell, but they also send themselves to hell. They don't want God. And not wanting God is not wanting light. It's not like, all right, I'll live, I'll, I'll live without God, and then when I die, I'm going to be with God forever. No, no, you made a choice. You choose every day to live without God. You set the course perpetually for eternity with the choices you make in this life. You live without God. You will die without God. And that will be your choice. You're choosing today to live without God. You can't say, well, God, God, how could you send me to hell? No, no. You chose life without God. And it becomes perpetual at the point of death. Live with God. You die with God and live forever with God. Live without God. You die without God. You live forever without God. In blackest darkness. Don't do that. Not just because I don't want hell for you. Because I want God for you. 
Why deny yourself the greatest experience ever on earth, knowing God and in eternity, knowing God? Don't live another day without him. Literally, you're living in darkness without God. And that's not fun, even though you think you like it. You need God. It says there was recorded historically three hours when this world was plunged into darkness. Only time I think it's ever happened when a whole world was plunged into darkness. It says it's recorded for us by an eyewitness. Mark chapter 15 verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. There was a a physical, tangible, real darkness came over the face of the earth for three hours from noon to three in the afternoon at the time when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, when the light of the world was dying for the sins of humanity. It was an incredible and awesome moment. And what was happening physically was reflecting spiritually the reality of what was happening. And the spiritual reality of what was happening was the sin and the blackness and the darkness of this world was being placed on the sinless Son of God. And he died and suffered in our place as the light of the world dying for the darkness of humanity. Literally, he allowed himself, as it were, to be extinguished by darkness. He took upon himself the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, every dark thing we've done, every dark thing we tolerate, every, not just things we've done, but attitudes we've had, every sin of the world was taken on him. My favorite verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That at that moment on the cross, when Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself, it was real, it was tangible, and the world went dark, signifying the dark reality of what was taking place. And the Father and the Son for that moment were separated. They experienced that, that incredible, painful separation with the Father and the Son, because sin was on the Son. The Father had to turn away, and the reality is, He was separated for temporarily so you could be united with God eternally. He took your sin so you could have his righteousness. He experienced total rejection and dejection so that you could be completely reconciled to God for all eternity as you trust in Jesus to be your savior. As the one who rose again and is alive now, trust him to be your savior. The one who conquered darkness on that cross. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He didn't say I'm the light of Jerusalem, even though he was standing in Jerusalem and there was this huge illumination of the temple taking place. He didn't say I'm the light of the Jews or Jerusalem, although he is. He said, I'm the light of the world. And in this moment, He was linking himself to a multitude of messianic prophecies predicting that the Messiah would be the light of the world. I mean, there's lots of them. All the way through Isaiah, you find them in different places. Here's here's a couple of them. Well, here's one of them. Isaiah chapter 49, verse six. I will make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus was declaring himself to be the one who God had made as a light to the nations. He was speaking in the center of history 
in the center of the world in Jerusalem about the whole world, that he was going to be the light of the entire world, that he, the Messiah, wasn't just going to come for the Jewish people, that he was the Messiah for the whole world, that he was the one that would guide the whole world, a light for the nations. That's why we're here today, because Jesus Christ came into this world 2,000 years ago to be the light. And Jesus made this claim. And, and the reality is we're living in a dark world and our nation needs Jesus. Amy or Ewan, who is a, a well-known speaker and apologetics um, person who, who does a great job of describing the Christian faith and she's based in Oxford. She, she took a group of her, her team to do a survey on campus at uh, the University of Nottingham in 2014. And they surveyed around 500 students and asked them questions about life, about the meaning of life, about purpose, about eternity, about faith, all these different questions. And they just wanted to find out, engage where people were at. Of the 500 people they interviewed, 498 of them had a worldview that did not believe in the existence of God. Two of them, of 500, two of them were theists. They believed in the existence of God mind-blowing and then they came the students came the, the the researchers came across a group of Chinese students and they asked these Chinese students they got into dialogue with these Chinese students and they asked them about who did they think Jesus Christ is and the Chinese students looked utterly shocked and as they as the as the surveyors asked them so why are you so shocked the Chinese students actually thought they were swearing at them these Chinese students had been eight months in the UK and they had only heard the name Jesus Christ used among students as a swear word. And they assumed that the researchers were swearing at them. We have a light for the nations. And boy, you, you think, man, you think in Christian Britain, I know some of you came from various parts of the world and you're like, oh, I'm so looking forward to arriving in this Christian nation of Britain. <laughs> So Christian, isn't it? It's really Christian. Everyone believes in God here. Yeah, right. And here's the reality. I love that we're an international church. I am honored to be a pastor of an international church. I love you all. I really do. I absolutely do. I really do. You're all so cool. Uh, You dance better than me and all that stuff. But the reality is, some of you have come from nations and continents that your nations and continents are more Christian than this nation is. And the reason your nations and continents were impacted is because you're, it was because missionaries from Britain went and preached the gospel in your nations and continents. And now you're here in the UK. And I think you think, okay, I'm here for economical reasons. I'm here because I need to earn good money for my family. That's good reason. I'm here for studies, academic reasons, because there's uh, really high standards of education here. This, this is a good reason. Some of you are here for, everyone's got a different reason why you're here. But let me tell you, there is an overarching reason that I reckon you may not have figured. But I actually think this is the biggest reason why God's got you here. You thought you were here for economical reasons. You thought you were here for academical reasons. Let me suggest to you, you're here to bring the seed back that was sown in your nation back to this nation. To introduce this nation again to the Savior. Welcome missionaries. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey missionary. Come on, turn to your other neighbor and say, you go for it, missionary. (laughs) 
Rose Crawford uh, was a blind lady. She was blind for 50 years of her life. Um, she wasn't born blind, but she developed this condition. She was, lived 50 years of her life blind until eventually she had an operation that enabled her to see, and she was just blown away. She could see again. I mean, it was 50 years before that that she could see, and all of a sudden she saw all these colors, and she was blown away. But the shocking thing about her story, about Rose's story, was that actually for the last 20 years, the treatment, the operation, the procedure she went through was readily available, but she didn't know anything about it. So literally, she could have started seeing again in her 30s, but because of her ignorance that that was available, for 20 years she lived in blindness. The surgeon commented and said uh, that she, she figured out there was nothing could be done for her condition. Much of her life could have been different. And I look on at our city and I think, our city is living in very comfortable blindness living in darkness, heading for blackest darkness, living away from God and happy, and yet they don't know that ultimate joy is at stake. They don't know that God loves them more than they could ever dare imagine. They're living with blindness and they've never known what it's like to see true color, to see real vibrancy, to experience deep joy that doesn't just come from something or experience or a place or money. It comes from something that is unpurchasable, something that is eternal. They don't know the joy of that and, they, and yet it's available to them. They're living, they're living all the light. And some people say, well, I'll become a Christian at the end of my life. Well, why would you want to waste all those years? Why not come to God right now? And why not, let's, why not we introduce our nation to Jesus now? Why not, you, these cows by candlelight invite, it's just one little thing. We've got to do something, right? Let's just do lots of little things. Let's just take one step at a time, one conversation at a time, sharing your faith, declaring your faith in Jesus, sharing your testimony. Listen, learn not just to relate to Christians. Learn to relate to non-Christian buddies. Be the best employee in your workplace. Be a great person. Don't be a party pooper. Don't be a killjoy. Don't be like the Pharisees. Be like Jesus. Be at the parties. Don't sin. Be at the parties. Love people. Demonstrate light in dark. Light shines best in darkness. Be missionaries where God's called you to be missionaries and demonstrate the love of God and share this message because he is the light to the nations. That's why we do 2020 vision, by the way. The reason we're launching new locations is because we figure we've got to do something that's robust to take ground in our city. We can't just exist as one church in one place. Therefore, we must multiply and mobilize an army to reach and engage with communities who don't yet know God. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me you know, he's the light of the world, but he asks for an individual response. Whoever follows me. John 8, 12, whoever follows me. He's, he's standing in front of this candelabra and he's saying, I'm the light of the world. This candelabra represented in Israel's history how the column of fire led them through a wilderness. He says, that's me. And he's saying, I want to be that to you, world. I want to be the one who leads you through this wilderness, this cold, dark wilderness called life. I want to be the one that leads you every step as you go. And the Israelites, when, the thing, when that column of fire moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. When it moved, they moved. They didn't move when it didn't move. And they didn't stop when it, it was moving. They stayed very sensitive to the very presence of God among them and let him lead it's like the story of the dad and the son who were out in the woods and the dad, it was, it was getting dark and the dad turned to the son, hey, do you know where we are? And the son said, no. And he said, do you know where we're going? And the son said, no. 
And the dad chuckled and said, well, I guess that means we're lost then, that you're lost. And the son said, no, I'm not lost, I'm with you. And that's exactly what it's like in life. You don't necessarily know necessarily the next steps. You might not have a clear vision of how it's all going to pan out in your particular set of circumstances or situation. But you need to understand, if you're with God, he knows the way through this wilderness. He's taking you to a promised land. He's taking you to a destination. You can just keep that closeness. Let that light continue to shine on you. Walk closely with the presence of God every day in your life. Let him impact you through his words. As you read it every day, open the Bible every day. Don't deny yourself true food every day. Don't fast from that. Feed yourself on truth. Spend time in prayer. Not not as a religious duty, but as a delight with the one that you love. Let him impact and shape you. Through others, he'll lead you. Either way, allow him to lead you. Whoever follows me. It goes on and says, we'll never walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. We'll never walk in darkness. Does that mean you'll never sin? It doesn't mean that. But it does mean you become very sin conscious and sin resistant. You know, fungus grows best in the darkness. Best way to deal with fungus is just shine some light. And God does that with us. As we walk with him, light is shone. Sin starts diminishing. Its power no longer has the same power. And God can help you if it does. Remember the woman caught in adultery? What did Jesus say to her? He shone his light. said, neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. He showed her grace. Then he empowered her to live sin free. And I'm sure she'd make a few mistakes. Like we do. But you need to understand that this power of sin was broken in her life because of the light of Jesus Christ shining. Whoever walks with me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And here's what happens. is as you're impacted by light, you suddenly start shining light to others. You walk with the light, then all of a sudden this light starts emanating through you into the world. Listen, Jesus flips the phrase. He takes the same declaration for himself and he applies it to us. Listen to what it says in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. Turn to your neighbor, tell them, you are the light of the world. Be the light. You've got to be the light. Jesus says the same phrase. He's not declaring you to be deity. He said, I am the light of the world. He's a God, okay? But he's saying, because you are now connected with me, because you're following me, here's the truth. You are the light of the world. How are you the light of the world? Well, you can show people light. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Preach the gospel wherever you go and when necessary, use words. Your life impacts. Your demonstration of love transforms people around you. You shine light and darkness by demonstrating the love. Not, not so that, hey, check me out. Look at all my moral good deeds. No, 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 no. That's not what it's about. It's about, I love you, so I'm going to do some stuff for you. There was a missionary in China once asked a local in the village that the missionary was working if they had ever heard the Christian gospel. And they replied, no, but I have seen it. I know a man who was a terror in the whole district. Sometimes he was as fierce as the wild animal and also an opium smoker. He accepted Jesus' religion and he became quite changed. He's now meek. He's no longer wicked. He has given up opium smoking 
And I can see by that that the gospel and the service of Jesus are good. Be the light. Let your light shine. Let, let you be a tr- changed life in your community. How can you be light? Jesus, so Peter the apostle said in 1 Peter 2 verses 9. You're a chosen generation, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may, you're all those things, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And just just let it be every day. Just you declare the excellences of him. Sometimes it'll be in big ways. I mean, this week I was at the gym on Monday, Monday's my day off, I was at the gym, and there was just a guy, he might be here today, welcome if you are, nice guy Philip, just a great guy, and I've met him a couple of times at the gym, and I just got into a conversation with, to this guy Philip, and he was talking about, he was talking about how his life was so troubled, and he was talking about all the black and dark things that were going on around him, and he was seeing going on in the world, and to be honest, he was despairing, and he was working every hour God gave him to try and make ends meet for him and his family, and I got an opportunity to tell him just looked him in the eye and said, do you know that God loves you? I told him about Jesus being so good and that he was for him and I invited him to church. Maybe you're here today, Philip. Welcome if you are. And then later in the, later in the week, I was doing a little bit of work in a cafe and I just got into conversation with one of the, the cafe staff and the and very simplest cafe staff person this was going through some challenges and I got to actually tell him the entire gospel, the entire message about salvation, about how I told them first that God loved you so much and gave them an invitation to the carol service. I took one of the leaflets like you've got. I gave them an invitation to the carol and I was able to tell them in unreligious terms that, hey, we've got a problem. And I said, do you know how I feel about, I said, tell me about your life. I said, do you know how I feel? I feel like I've got, it's like I've got, been given the cure to cancer and it's the cure to cancer and it's for everyone. And I'd be crazy and selfish not to give it away. And he says, but the cure I've got is for bigger than that. The cure of God is for the biggest problem in all of our lives. I said the problem in all of our lives, the Bible calls it sin. It's a darkness in our souls. And Jesus came and he, when he died on that cross and he rose again, he took that away. And I told her this and I told her that you can believe in him. I said, why don't you pray to him? I had this great conversation just in a cafe, literally over five minutes. Just be the light. Every one of you, I encourage you, don't be mute, silent Christians. Too much is at stake. Darkness is prevailing. People are living in darkness of ignorance. And I don't mean that to be patronizing. People are ignoring God and yet God loves them. He's placed you in this city to be light in this darkness. Let your light shine. Share the fact, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Don't know the other words. <laughs> you got you got a light. It's not a little light. It's the light of the world. Enjoy Jesus, and let that light of Jesus shine through you, Lord. We honor you today. Thank you that you are the light of the world. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you tell us, quite frankly, that we're living in a dark world. And you don't promise to take away the darkness from the world. You you promise to take away the darkness in the worlds of those who follow you. 
And God, our prayer and our desire is that not just we would follow you, but the thousands in this city would follow you and would find you and would know you to be their light. Just each one of you in his presence just now, just take a moment to respond. Some of you, you're living with shadows. You're not coming to the light because you know it will mean change. You're choosing darkness. You live in that way and God wants you to come to him today and choose him, choose light. Some of you today, you're just, you're not letting that light shine. You're a silent Christian in a world that's desperate. No more, come on. In God's presence, make a choice. Time to let your light shine and your light is Jesus. And some of you today, You're walking in darkness. You might have a a nice life, but you don't have God. And I'm here to say that you're blind. You're in darkness, but God wants to open your eyes. He wants to bring you to the light. So that's you today. And as I'm praying, if you're here today and you're saying, Peter, I don't know God but I want to know him. Or maybe in the past, you used to have some sort of connection with God, but for whatever reason, you've walked away. But here you are today. And today you're saying, I want God again. I want God. And God is here. Died on the cross for you. Rose again. Jesus is here. Why don't you trust him right now? If that's you, let me help you make that connection with them. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I invite you to pray this prayer one line at a time after me. Under your breath, say, Dear Lord God, I want to thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross to save me. Thanks for rising again and being alive right now. Today I acknowledge there is darkness and there is sin in my soul. I want you, Jesus, to be the light of my world, to be the light of my life. And I choose to follow you to the best of my ability with your help for the rest of my days. Thanks for hearing my prayer.